is not what I am, even though my zip code has changed. I might smile and enjoy where I'm currently employed. Your soul can't be rearranged. But it's hard to understand. It's so hard to understand. Farewell, fam. It's episode 12 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast, your weekly Milwaukee Brewers podcast. I'm Steve Garshinsky, and with me always is J.P. Breen and Ryan Topp. Today we'll run through our picks for Brewers Minor League Offensive Player of the Year, Pitcher of the Year, Breakout Player, and then the Rookie Ball and Short Season Player of the Year. You can rate and review the podcast on iTunes. It helps fans find the podcast, so just take a minute and leave us a few stars. And we want listeners uh, to ask questions, so follow Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter, at MKE Tailgate. Or email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com. Or you could also follow our Facebook page for Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast. You can also follow Ryan, JP, and myself on Twitter, and you'll find that in our Twitter bio. And then uh, Milwaukee's Tailgate is featured on Disciples of Euchre, so check out disciplesofeuchre.com for great Brewers content. Milwaukee's Tailgate is sponsored in part by Sound Devices, a premier manufacturer of audio production gear, and they're located right here in Wisconsin. Sound Devices gear is used worldwide and is found on the set of Oscar-winning films and popular uh, TV shows. And if you're looking to create a professional-sounding podcast, check out the MixPre 3 and MixPre 6. For more information, visit sounddevices.com. Ryan, real quick, it looks like our uh, World Series pick went down the toilet in a hurry. Yes. And we were we were looking good initially. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Cleveland blew a two nothing lead. So apparently they like to win two games in the playoffs and then blow the series. That's kind of how it's going from year to year. Yeah. So JP, how are you feeling about uh, Houston right now? Uh, good. As I said, that they were the best team in the AL, and I still feel that way. And they're they're showing it to the Yankees at the moment, aren't they? Yes, they are. Well, especially if the Yankees aren't going to win like low run scoring ball games. You feel like right. Houston's going to drop a football score on them eventually. Yeah, well, absolutely. Yeah, Houston's lineup is one of the best. I think it's as good as we've seen probably since that mid-90s Cleveland lineup. Well, and that's saying something when you go back and look at the yes, all on that, that. young Manny Ramirez. and Young Jim Tomei. Yeah, young, young everybody who played for the next, like, 20 years. Yeah. So, um, yeah, other than that... Uh, what do we got? The Dodgers and Cubs. Dodgers took the first game. We're kind of waiting on game two for that one right now. Yeah, yes. Cubs and Nationals National should have won that series too. Yes, they yeah. got hosed. Hosed. I'm very angry about it. <laughs> I will not I will not be over that until the Cubs are eliminated. Well, yeah. And if they win the World Series, then it will just fester forever. Yeah. So, um, okay. Are we ready to get to the minor league awards? I, I'm choking down this onion beer that Ryan gave me. Um, so I think you are such an ingrate. What, what we'll do is we'll, we'll do these awards. I'll quickly drink this so I can get something to wash the palate off a little bit. Uh, rinse that. So that way I cleanse, can, uh, Steve cleanse. cleanse yeah. Oh, scrub it <laughs> <laughs> at this point. Get a Brillo pad. And- You're like, I paid $30 for this onion beer. I'm like, great. Thanks. At you least have, you have no palate. At least it's a sweet, sweet onion flavor. Valdalia or whatever that <laughs> <Yeah>. is. <laughs> Man, yeah. Justin is going to be so mad at you. It is, it's really <laughs> great. It, well, this is what happens when you go to Illinois breweries. They're like, oh, this is, this is what people like. It's like, no, your stuff is garbage. But whatever, you paid $30 for a can of it, so I won't, I won't throw it out. So anyways, 
Uh, last week we did the uh, major league awards. So this year, this week, we're going to do all our minor league uh, player awards. Um, so uh, let's start from the bottom up. Um, we're going to do player of the year, pitcher of the year, breakout player, and then short season or rookie ball player of the year. So uh, JP, let's start with your pick for the uh, short season or rookie ball player of the year. Yeah, I I think it was pretty straightforward in which I took the – Brewers first round pick of the 2017 MLB draft and selected Keston Hira as the uh, the short season best player of the year. I think it was pretty straightforward. Uh, combined between both rookie ball and A ball, he had a uh, 1,033 OPS. And even though he wasn't playing defensively all that much, he showed you know the swing that he was picked for. He th- showed a little bit more power than I think people were expecting. And... A, a very advanced approach at the plate. So pretty much everything across the board that everyone loved his offensive profile coming out of, uh, coming out of uh, UC Irvine, able to see what he can do on the field. And he was able to transition very, very quickly. And everybody who was able to see him talks about how, how fluid, how compact and just how MLB ready his swing is. Uh, right now it's just a matter of giving him the reps giving him the ability to transition to playing every single day which you don't obviously you don't do in college and getting used to the grind getting used to being able to play second base and think i think there's a bright future there obviously any concerns about the uh, power dipping down a, a little bit once he got to wisconsin or that's really not a too small a sample at this point to say anything about that I mean, he still slugged four seventy six in Wisconsin. Yeah, I mean, he had he had eleven doubles and two triples. I think he was he was fine. It, it was twenty seven games, so the fact that he still had thirteen extra base hits, it's still looking very good. Sure. Um, what about uh, does, does Hira is he helped by the fact that Corey Ray got off to a slow start and he was supposed to be an advanced bat um, that has struggled initially uh, since he was drafted? I don't understand the question. 2016, the Brewers drafted Corey Ray. He was supposed to be an advanced bat. I think people were expecting I, him to move quickly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you think, in comparison, like Hira getting off to a hot start, like we're even more excited because it was something we've expected from a couple of draft picks? You know, like I said, Ray previously being that kind of guy. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Um, I, I, perhaps for fans, that could be something that plays into it. I think it's the fact that. So many scouts and so many kind of, you know, internet talent evaluators, whatever you want to call them, um, are are saying the vast majority of them are saying, you know, how great he looks at the plate. And it's not the fact that the stats look good. It's the fact that everybody who sees him sees a, an MLB ready bat uh, right now. So. It's a combination of, I guess the results are certainly nice and it's nice to look at the box score and see him going two for four with a double pretty much every single night. But it's the idea that you don't have any questions about the offensive profile going forward. And we haven't necessarily seen too many players like that. And there aren't too many players like that in in the minors in general. And he lacks some upside just because of positionally and, and, you know, he doesn't have maybe the speed that some other guys have. Um, so he's not going to get the same kind of love that people like Victor Robles or people like Ronald Acuna, guys like that who are just like absolute toolboxes, or even Lewis Brinson, 
Um, but in terms of feeling like you have somebody who's going to contribute over a long period of time with the bat, Keston Hira feels like a very good bet. And what's your gut on second base at this point? Uh, by every, by all accounts, I mean, athletically, he's been fine at second base. It's just been a matter of if he can throw. Um, and by all accounts, everything seems to be just fine. So, yeah. Uh, we do have a question from uh, Jason Donlinger. He asks, how many levels do you think Keston Hira can climb in 2018? It all depends on where he starts. I do mean, you... if they send him to if they send him to Carolina, I don't see any reason why he can't end up in Double A by the end of the year. And then moving from Double A to the big leagues, whether you need to take a stop in Triple A or you just jump straight straight there and in 2019, whatever that looks like, you know, that's kind of up in the air. But I think if he, I think ending the year in Double A, if he performs well at the beginning of the year, I think should be pretty straightforward. So, big picture timeline question then you would think that as long as the arm doesn't require end up requiring surgery down the road somewhere you would say probably if i said june of 2019 hero will be the everyday second baseman for the brewers is that a a bet you'd be willing to make at this point i'd say it completely depends on what they do at second base this offseason <laughs> which sure. is not which is not a good answer but like if they sign somebody like you know, uh, Neil Walker, or they try to to move for somebody that can be there for multiple years uh, and who is a quality veteran bat that they can slot in at second base. I, I think it muddles the timeline a little bit. If they don't do anything at second base, I think it could give you an idea that they expect Hira to cruise. Um, I suspect that they're going to look for something that's major league ready and better than just, you know, hoping Jonathan VR bounces back at second base. I think that they're going to do something this offseason. Okay. Okay, so Ryan, who did you pick for your uh, short season rookie ball player of the year? Yeah, so I wasn't sure. He, uh, Hero only had the 63 at-bats. I know he was on uh, Baseball America's Arizona League list. Um, but I went a different direction. Part of it, I knew you were going to go that way. Um, so I'm going to go with Tristan Lutz then. So we talk about somebody different. And... Lutz was, um, obviously, he is already, he was one of the top 10 uh, bonus babies for the Brewers of all time already, and he was their second pick in this draft. And a lot of people were talking about him as being one of the most advanced high school bats in the draft available, and he hit the ground running and hit really, really well in the rookie Arizona level facing you know younger, less advanced competition put up a 905 OPS there over his first 68 at-bats. And then he got promoted up to Helena, where the environment is not necessarily harder to hit in, but the competition is a little bit better and a little bit older. And he was even better, putting up an almost one OPS plus. Um, he's been playing center field so far, most of the time for the Brewers in uh, this year, he probably profiles more as a right fielder. He has a big arm, so he has that. Uh, he has the the agility and the ability to play center as a younger guy, but will probably grow out of that physically by the time he were to reach up. But the bat is looking like it could potentially be special, like a middle of the order power bat that really, really gives them something down the road. So. It was very nice to see him get off to such a strong start as well. To have two guys to be that good in the draft 
at the top of your draft class is really positive. And I think it speaks something to the idea of taking hitters early, that there's a little less volatility than with pitchers and all that. So I think definitely, definitely impressive. JP, what are your thoughts on uh, Lutz? Uh, Well, in terms of being a top 10 bonus baby, that's just a function of the draft position he was in, right? I mean, that's not not saying he's like one of the top 10 prospects they've ever that they've ever selected no but they did sorry i should have been a little bit more clear about that he was a guy that they they went significantly over slot to get i think they paid him three or four hundred thousand dollars more than what his slot dictated but that's because they had to right sure yeah well because he was a good talent and had options any well yeah he had leverage yeah he had leverage Um, and was a very good talent so yeah yeah i i'm i am Obviously happy to see what Lutz has been able to do in, in rookie ball. Um, I don't really know what to make of him uh, just because he's physically advanced already. He is uh, one of the more polished high school hitters. And there's a lot of question about what kind of projection he has going forward and whether or not he's pretty maxed out and what he can be. Um there's not a lot of room to grow in terms of gaining more muscle in terms of, of, you know, filling a body out or anything like that. So in some ways, kind of what you see is what you get, which is strange when you are looking at an 18 year old. And so I think some people get a little bit concerned there, but he's obviously got a good idea what to do with the the plate. Uh, He's showing in game power, which is important. Um, yeah, I don't think there's any chance that he stays in center field. Uh, I'd be surprised, actually, if he even plays center field once he gets to full season ball. Um, but it's he's obviously a very it's a very exciting it's a very exciting talent. I, and it's just difficult to try to see what he doesn't fit a lot of normal high school uh, development track records or like development timelines because he is much more advanced than the standard. Uh, the standard high school hitter coming out and he's not necessarily expected to get a lot stronger. The power is going to grow or, or anything. It's, it's hopefully going to be the idea that he is this kind of hitter and hopefully it goes forward that way. Um, If he is like, so do you see next year he's going to go to, to, I don't see any reason why he wouldn't go to Wisconsin to begin the year. That would make sense that he would start off up there. Do you see if he's going to have challenges? Is it making this jump, or is it more making the jump to Double A that you would anticipate more trouble with? Yeah, I I don't know. It'd be a guess. I mean, in some ways, it's about being able to to handle breaking stuff better, um, being able to understand the fact that even though he does have a pretty good idea of what he's doing at the plate, uh, his swing still does have holes in it. It's not it's not perfect. Um, I, obviously nobody's swing is perfect, but uh, being able to make the jump to full season ball is for some guys just unexpectedly difficult. Um, and, and not everything is always, not everything is always rational. So it, it's, it's about how he can handle it. And the offensive environment in, in the Midwest league is difficult. And so if he doesn't come out, out and, you know, mash the baseball right away. Maybe he starts pressing and he has some issues with that. Um, Especially early in the year when it's so yeah, cold. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, yeah, I don't know. It'd be a complete guess on my part. Okay. Uh, we're going to move on. Um, JP, uh, let's start with your pick for breakout player of the year. 
Yeah, I took uh, Mario Feliciano, catcher out of uh, the the Timber Rattlers. Um, I I actually slated. Part of this is because I I gave him a shout prior to the year of somebody that I thought was going to take a step forward. But he is, you know, he's an eighteen year old catcher who was able to hit two fifty one, three twenty, and he didn't necessarily have the same level of you know, power that a lot of people expect to have, expect to come from, from top prospects. But uh, first of all, he's trying to transition to catcher, which he um, is not a comfortable position for him. Uh, he, he has the athletic tools to be able to handle it, but it's not something he's extremely familiar with and offensive production from, and development from, from young catchers, especially high school catchers is very slow, notoriously slow. I mean, even guys like, Mejia from from Cleveland or Chancisco from Baltimore, guys that are like more of the top profile catching prospects, uh, take a long time to get moving. But scouts love his swing. Early in the year, he was crushing it, um, and I I mean, I would expect him to be in top ten lists. Well, um, how, how much is how much of this is based on his age at the level? Because again, when you look at like a slash line or something like that. Yeah, you know that that isn't anything that really jumps off the page. But again, it yeah. was he was doing this in in a ball as opposed to you know rookie ball or something like that. Yeah, a, a ball as full season ball is an eighteen year old catcher and was showing impact potential with the bat, and it really slowed down after the first couple of months. But the fact that an eighteen year old was flashing flashing the ability to to handle it. Um, and the fact that you saw him regularly batting anywhere from two to five in, in the Timber Rattlers lineup tells you a lot in terms of what they think of his bat. Um, because you don't see a lot of guys being placed in the, the heart of lineups, even if the Timber Rattlers didn't actually have a great lineup. Um, the fact that they were, they were pushing him to be able to anchor it still matters. Um, and I talked to, and I mean, I've seen some preliminary lists from, uh, from a site that will publish top 10 lists um, <laughs> and he is on it. So, so I expect uh, that he'll get, he'll get a lot more love than I think a lot of people expect looking at the the slash line. And it's important to remember that catchers are different than everybody else. Well, so the, it's important to have some imagination there when looking at those sorts and of things. And he's not even, he hasn't even turned 19 yet. He turns 19 yeah. in November. I mean, he's yeah. so unbelievably young and like you said they put so much on him that and and he was able to keep his head above water just the fact that he didn't drown in it this season is you know somewhat remarkable and speaks to the guy's you know incredible abilities well yeah. how, how well does he scout defensively because you said he's he flashes some... really well okay. but he's raw i mean even if you look at somebody like monte harrison for example who is 20 years old when he spent his first long time in well i guess he actually was there when he was 19 as well but you know he spent almost 300 plate appearances in a ball at 20 years old and he hit two uh 222 294 337 and guys like you know monte harrison is somebody that you had to dream on you had to look beyond on the uh the stat line and and feliciano is somebody that it's important, like you said, like, does he keep his head above water as an 18-year-old in, in an A-ball? And I, you know, I should look at it, but I was going to say that Orlando Garcia was a little bit that way as well. 
where yeah. he was he was an up and coming guy where they put a lot on him even even just uh kind of bringing him up to spring training and and kind of working him out with the big league squad when he was really young was was big and so when or- Orlando Arcia was 18 years old at he actually played for the Timber Rattlers as well he hit 251 314 333 that's actually very very close to what Feliciano was hitting if not exactly the and same. we got very excited about it because it was yeah absolutely because the because projection was, was so there yeah and yeah. his defensive position and the fact that he was able to flash and so Feliciano you know I'm not saying he's going to become a lot like Garcia in which he's a he's a three to four win player uh because we need to see a lot more especially defensively but Feliciano is somebody that is going to get a lot of love for his projection um and I was very happy to see what he was able to do this year Okay, Ryan, we're going to keep it moving. So if you want to give us your uh, breakout player this season. So I'm going to go with somebody who had better numbers um, that we'd been waiting for for a long time and really weren't sure. Jake Gatewood finally took the step forward that, you know, the Brewers had hoped he would take when it was when they made him um, an early pick in 2014. He's been on the radar for so long. I think there was some fatigue with him where he had been a guy who is, I think it was at the 2013 All-Star game in New York. As like a 17-year-old, he's out there hitting absolute like 500-foot bombs in batting practice in their, their showcase game or whatever they had for high schoolers there. And so he's kind of been around. He had struggled a lot with making contact and uh, just putting up anything that looked like, you know, reasonable numbers. And... How much you know it came into play, we don't know, but he went and got his eyes looked at last offseason, and they said, hey, you need some contacts. He put in contacts, and there seemed to be a big step forward this year. We were, it was one of the early season jokes. You would look at, he was, I think within a few weeks of the season, he'd already walked more times than he had the entire previous season. It took him you know, just like 10 days or something to do that. It was a it was a pretty remarkable thing to see you know the transformation of him, and he did really well, hit very well for uh, Carolina, earned a promotion up to Double A Biloxi, and we'll see. I mean, he's now he's playing first base on a more regular basis at this point. He's a huge guy, six foot five, um, so you know first base definitely is probably where this is trending, and the offensive bar at first base is incredibly high. You have to really be able to hit, but the leaps he took forward this year and it has been able to start tapping into some of the potential that the Brewers you know, knew he had when they drafted him, but you just didn't know if it was ever all going to come together because there was such a, such a big swing and everything. Um, but he uh, has definitely established himself as a legitimate prospect in a way that he, before it had been entirely on potential and upside, now there's some production to back it up. And so, you know, going forward, he is definitely a person who's put himself into the conversation, you know, down the road to, you know, be a major leaguer. Uh, JP, what are your thoughts on Gatewood's breakout this season? Yeah, I think that Ryan covered a lot of the important things. The fact that he was able to improve his plate discipline, whether or not it was because of his contacts, you know, like it's a big deal if you can't see the ball and then suddenly can see the ball. But I know that we hear different things about players getting LASIK surgery all the time. And so I know some people get fatigued by those sorts of things, but the thing with Gatewood, even more than his plate discipline, the fact that he got contacts and things, he actually worked with 
a swing coach to start revamping a lot of things with his swing, uh, was able to create better leverage. You can see a lot of changes in even his setup and how his hands are. Uh, he still has a really, really long swing. And he's going to, as, at six foot five, if he doesn't shorten his, his path, he's going to strike out a ton. So he's still got a lot of question marks. He still has a lot of development to go. But in terms of being able to use his power better, um, I still would like to be able to see him uh, use all fields uh, with power. I think he does do that. But, uh, you know, you want somebody to be able to continue to to use the leverage in his swing to all fields and not have to get pull happy because that's when he can strike out some. So just being able to figure it out, because even after his home run derby, uh, you know, I know everything about home run derby curses and whether or not that that's real. But when he was younger, he was selling out for power all the time. He was trying to hit 500 foot homers all the time. He was trying to pull it. And that was one of the biggest flaws in his swing. So he started to struggle really rather heavily after after the second half. And I think he turned it around. I don't have his numbers in front of me, but uh, if I remember correctly, he was able to turn it around once middle, late of August. Um, But I don't know what to make of him yet. And I don't, and it partially it's because of what Ryan was talking about. The fact that the first base offensive profile is massive, especially now in which the run environment is starting to get even higher he's got a lot that he has to prove in order to be able to handle that position, but he's also a right-hander like he bats right-handed, which is somewhat, I think limiting at first base in some ways. Sometimes it's tougher. It's, it's definitely unconventional in unconventional. Sorry. Talking is hard. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, the issue is with any breakout player, we're kind of, you know, dreaming on what they did this season without uh, a track record to really, you know, fall back on to say we should expect more from them. So mm-hmm. obviously these guys are exciting, but they're going to have flaws, be it just really young. And, you you know, it's hard to project guys when they're that young, you know, what they're going to be in, you know, three, four, five years or like Gatewood, who he's got, you know, it uh, took time. It, it takes time. He's got, you know, a, a big power tool. What, what do you think his uh, power is on 2080 uh, scale? Uh, myself, I haven't seen him enough to know. So okay. I, I, I don't know. Have there. you talked to anyone? That... Yeah, but it's. I mean, I I don't feel comfortable putting numbers on those things because I'm not not a scout. So, <laughs> Ryan, you don't mind just going out on a limb with no information? Did you want to put his power on? <laughs> I'm trying to remember what I've seen. I I feel like I've seen people say 70 raw, but not game. But I. Sure, That's, and and that, I'm just going off of memory of what I've read from people, and that that is the other issue. Uh, th- there is there is that raw that people probably get excited at, about seeing, you know, the home run derby stuff. That's not the same as game power, right? And we're learning that with Gilbert Lara, like that's, you know, there's a big difference. Between I don't raw think, and game yeah, power. I don't know if we're going to learn anymore with Gilbert Lara. I mean, he's still. He's still around. He's yeah. Still They're going to give him some more chances, probably. But you know, he's. Uh, yeah, it's not likely we're going to pay a lot of attention to him moving forward. So uh, let's go to our pitcher of the year. And Ryan, I'm going to have you do it, but we got some overlap with these. So uh, if you want to give, I guess he's the consensus pitcher of the year for the two of you. Yeah, I mean, you could pick somebody else. I, I also wrote down Freddie Peralta in case I was going second here and Breen had picked. Sure. But yeah, I, I picked Corbin Burns. And he, 
I mean, when you you put up the numbers he did, there's really hard. It's hard to find flaws in anything statistically that he did. Um, I'll let Jim speak more to the the stuff and the development that way. But I mean, he just was absolutely filthy. Um, you know, putting up a his his professional ERA at this point is in the ones, and that's with you know approaching 150 innings. Sure, and he, he started he started 10 games in High A and then 16 games in Double A this year. And uh, and barely missed a beat. I mean, he the numbers you know went down. Like he wasn't quite as good in Double A as he was in High A. But yeah, I mean that's he's still putting up a two ten ERA in in Double A, and the strikeouts and the strikeout to walk ratio is all still there. And it's you know it it's really it's nice to see somebody come in and be basically really great from you know the first moment they're in pro ball and to just fly through the system the way he has to the point where I think you could legitimately talk about him breaking camp with the team next year. Not that it's likely to happen, but it could potentially happen if he's just, you know, goes into camp next year and and takes a spot and grabs it by the throat. Like it could very easily happen. (laughs) He's a very violent pitcher, apparently. (laughs) Breen, I think that's your transition but point. <laughs> I, well, I'd like to point out, though, again, you know, at about a one, e, uh, one ERA in high A, and uh, he was just over two in double A. And when you look at his Dre on baseball prospectus, it was, you know, 180 and 230. So, I mean, what he did and what his peripherals suggest, you know, he should have been giving up uh, closely aligned. So, they're, right. you try to he look at it and say there's not mu- hard contact. Yeah, there's not much of a mirage there for what his production was this season. So why do you like uh, Cor- Corbin Burns so much, JP? Oh, I like the fact that he has multiple off-speed pitches and the fact that his fastball is now up apparently to, to 95-ish miles an hour. The fact that he's bumping a little bit higher than that at times. Whether or not, supposedly he made some mechanical adjustments uh that hopefully bolster the fact that his velocity is just being able to be maintained higher and it's not a velocity bump that could potentially be followed by an injury because somebody's exerting themselves a little bit more than they were in the past but yeah i mean there's not much to say about him at this point just because he's got the arsenal you want from a starter uh his mechanics in terms of the way that he throws it's a little bit more max effort than you'd like to see from a starter but as of right now I mean, he was able to throw 145 innings last year at, at 185 ERA. So the fact doesn't seem to suggest that he's dealing with any kind of, you know, fatigue issues or struggling to, to pitch every fifth day or dealing with the fact that, you know, he's got to go through the long slog of long road trips in July and August that, that college pitchers are not used to having to deal with. And so, I mean, at this point it's, it's, a, a cop out, but we're just in a wait and see mode. And sometimes it's important to remember that his entire sample size is 181 innings. And the fact that we shouldn't be saying he is anything because of that. Um, so we still are in a wait and see mode to be able to see how he deals with double A in the second go around, whether or not they're going to send him to Colorado Springs. If they do send him to Colorado Springs, does that mess anything up? Um, and is his velocity going to be able to be maintained in spring training? If you had uh, a gut, even, does he get to the big leagues next year? In any capacity? In any capacity, yeah. Are we going to see him in the big leagues next year? Uh, sure. I'll say September. That's fine. 
Oh, okay. Let, let's say Josh Hader is uh, in the starting rotation to start the season. Uh, does Corbin Burns come up midseason as the rookie relief ace that Hader was this year? I don't think so, no. Okay. Do you think he's more the type that they just purely want to keep in starting rotation as opposed to Hader who's had some questions about where he'd uh, be in the major leagues? Yes, and I do think that uh, it's important to remember that Luis Ortiz is maybe even ahead of uh, Corbin Burns in terms of being a, a starting pitcher uh, going forward in terms of like the internal pecking order. Though he's still um, trying to build up workload too. Ortiz? Ortiz, yes. Well, they both are to a certain extent, right? To an extent, but I mean, Ortiz is behind Burns in that. Well, is just that... because they've been babying him, not... Yeah, I think that... He's had some, he's actually been, Luis Ortiz has been babied in terms of his uh, track record going forward. But I still think, depending on who you talk to, some people actually still like Luis Ortiz better than Corbin Burns as well. So, well, again, Burns is a little bit more of the hot shot, you know, flying in here lately as opposed to Ortiz, who's, how many seasons does Ortiz have right now in the minors? Three, four? I mean, he's been around for a little bit, so he doesn't seem as as fresh and uh, exciting, I think, as someone like Burns. Though, yeah, I mean, he did just four. get acquired. Yeah, sure, but again, he's he still has a track record. When people go look up what has Luis Ortiz done, there's a lot more to kind of uh, uh, read through in those cases. Right, but it it is important to remember that Ortiz has been in Double A for two years now, and he's not, and he's just 21 years old. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, and Corbin Burns is older than Luis Ortiz is. Um, so Ortiz has question marks about his body um, in terms yeah, of being able to. You, you mentioned you mentioned the load or whatever. <laughs> he he carries much of he carries quite the load, doesn't he? I How big I is did. Ortiz now? Uh, he's a he's got he's a big fella. He's a, yeah, uh, he's you know, he's a he's deuce a, and a half, isn't he? <laughs> he doesn't he doesn't have uh, frame concerns like somebody like Josh Hader might. No, he should be able to. That's an, that's, a, that's an all-time euphemism. That's, that's fantastic. He does not have frame concerns. <laughs> he, um, he, yeah, I mean, he didn't. He has not yet pitched 100 innings in a in a minor league season. This year, he maxed out and he got to 94. Um, so, I mean, they're taking their time with him. Like you said, they're babying him along. But you know, we're a ways from him being like, you know, geared up to handle big league starter uh, workloads. It's a while. For that like two years tops and again this is talking about Luis Ortiz as opposed to Burns who yeah, yes. went like yeah, 140 yeah. so okay we're gonna move on again we uh doubled up on the position player of the year so uh JP I'm gonna oh, have you damn go with it. This one. I want to pick somebody else now I, I was, can talk let him go first I'll talk about the yeah, other guy Ryan, I'll talk about Ryan gave me a second pick for a bunch of these so if you want you can do uh your guy and then well no who's the second pick Brett Phillips yeah, I can't get mad at that. Um, <laughs> well, that's he, good. He really wanted to, though. He, how disappointed I really did. he was. I wa- I he wanted to, to like get what, angry. What, what do you think he could have picked that would have made you mad? Like, what what would be a Ryan pick that would have gotten you angry? For uh, um, ah, like it, if he tried to make it a pitcher. Oh, okay. I thought like, if you were going to say he tried to do Gatewood or somebody. Else. I mean, no, like, yeah, I, I would have picked Burns. I would I would pick Burns if, ahead of anybody in the system in terms if, of like. If he tried to be able to argue that, like, maybe Orlando Arcia should be a prospect still. Well, I, I should. <laughs> I, 
I should also point out we did call this posi- the position player of the year. So if he would have picked did. a pitcher, we did. He would have been breaking the rules. So then you you would have had a legitimate reason to be angry about it. But yeah, that's fair. Um. Anyways, um, okay. So t- take this. Who's your guy? Uh, Monte Harrison. Uh, Monte Harrison finally took the step forward that a lot of people were, including myself, have been talking about for a long time. And a lot of people wrote him, have written him off because the stats weren't there or he's gotten injured too much or the prospect fatigue. Everybody's tired of people saying that this person is good. And then watching them, you know, hit 220 or 205. Uh, but the fact that this year he was able to put up uh, an OPS up near 850, he was able to hit 21 homers, uh, and he still stole 27 bases. I mean, he showed the power speed profile and the fact that he's quality defensively in center field puts him firmly on the map as somebody to get uh, extremely excited about. Well, and he played pretty evenly between A-ball and high A, and his mm-hmm. stats were pretty consistent from A-ball to high A. Like, he maintained when he jumped a level, which was good to see. It wasn't just because he'd been up in Appleton for a couple seasons. Yeah, up and down, right? Yeah, yeah. He, he'd he kind of been there. He went back to the Pioneer League, and then he came up. So, I mean, kind of seeing him have a, a good start there, you're like, well, at some point, you know, he's played it enough. He should, you know, hopefully get the hang of it. But being they able to rush him it. in 2015, his first full pro year, yeah, they pushed him to Wisconsin, and that was a little bit over his head. Is at that, that where point. he? What did he do? Break his foot, or was it a knee? Hammett. He broke his hammett somewhere in there. His foot. Well, he broke his no, ankle in a. He broke ankle. his ankle in a slide. Okay. And then I think it was his ankle that he broke in a slide. And then he also heard it. He broke his hamate bone. I think his hamate was last year. I think his ankle was, that was last two year? years ago. Okay. Okay. Um, but the thing that I really liked about Harrison is the fact that he was able to show an ability to adjust throughout the year and that he had a couple of down months. I mean, in May and July, he wasn't very good. I think he hit like something like 210 or 230, you know, each of those months. But every single time he was able to bounce back with an OPS around nine nine hundred or higher in in April, June, August, and he was able to show an ability to fight through the downtimes. He was able to fight through uh, kind of Babbitt issues. You know the fact that some of his hits weren't falling in. But even when he was struggling, even in May when he hit two ten, he was still getting on base. He still had a three nineteen on base percentage. Even in July when he had a 238 batting average, he still had a 315 on base percentage. So the power was consistent throughout the entire year. Uh, and even when he wasn't getting on base via the base hit, he was still able to show that he could get on via the walk. And strikeouts are always going to be an issue with Monta Harrison. His bat isn't in the hitting zone for very long. Um, he's got, you know, I don't, it, it's, it's not the same sort of swing, but uh, it's a little bit like, Ricky Weeks in terms of his bat is so fast that it goes through the zone very quickly. And it's not like, you know, when Brett Lowry, when I saw him, when he was down in a ball and his bat just stayed in the zone forever. And that's one of the reasons why he didn't strike out very much because even if he was fooled by an off speed pitch or something, his bat was still in the hitting zone for so long that he could adjust. He could keep his hands back. He could do a lot of those things. Uh, Monty Harrison's not like that. Monty Harrison's, bat flies through the zone it's and he swing it almost looks like he swings down at it um but he his his uh his timing needs to be right but it also helps him compress the ball when he hits it and he was able to to hit the ball from uh right field to left field with power so those are all the things that you, you like about him 
Uh, and the fact that he can handle center field defensively is a plus. Yeah. Now, Ryan, we, we'd talked about Monty Harrison a bunch before and you were, you were always holding out hope for him. So it looks like this isn't just confirmation bias for you. I mean, this is something that uh, people look at as more of a legit uh, yeah. breakout. Yeah, it seems like this is this is what we've been waiting for. And like you know, JP pointed out, he's been making the adjustments and has progressed up through the system. And you're seeing that he's handling challenges and continuing to grow as a player. Uh, people don't, I think, understand quite how hard it is to hit. He was in uh, the... Uh, Midwest League during the cold part of the year when it's really it's a it's a pitcher's league anyway but especially early in the year it's really really hard to generate power in that league and especially in Appleton and he did that through the tough part of the year then he gets rewarded and gets sent down to Carolina where it is one of the tougher pitcher parks in the minor or one of the tougher hitter parks I should say in the minor leagues and he was absolutely can you know able to continue to to put hard contact on the ball and to you know generate home run power and a lot of double power and you add that to the the rest of the profile with him and it's you know it's just fantastic you have a player that has the tools and now you're seeing the production and we had to wait so long and it's also it's worth pointing out too he was also a guy who coming into pro ball was he was a three sport player in high school and was not dedicated to baseball on a full-time basis. And so we sort of expected that there was going to be some growing pains. And we saw right away when he came into pro ball that he was good. He, he came in and was, especially um, with his plate discipline, was much better than, you know, you had the right to hope for a guy that has that profile where he just hasn't seen the reps from, you know, top pitchers the way some of the other prospects may have. So it was well, just fant- it was fantastic. And he- yeah, but sometimes when you get young players like that who come in and have such a great on base percentage in rookie ball, you do worry that it's kind of fake plate discipline, right? Right, you, that he's just laying worry- off. Well, you worry that yeah, he's just laying off off speed pitches, and and guys down in rookie ball can't throw off speed pitches for strikes, and the fact that he's you know just feasting on fastballs, and you see a lot of guys with fake plate discipline uh, like that down in you know, the Arizona league or the pioneer league or, or what have you. And those concerns um, are largely laid to rest at this point. Now that he's developing real plate discipline, you'd say, I mean, in terms of being able to recognize balls and strikes. Yeah. I think that people feel more confident with that, whether or not, you know, cause people, I think too often equate good di- plate discipline with a high batting average. And I'm not necessarily sure that's going to be the case with Monte unless something changes. Well, and then um, there's also equating it directly with walk rates. Play discipline equals walk yeah. rate, and that's it's more complicated than that too. Like you're saying, cause there is there is sort of fake p- play discipline for younger players, especially who lay off pitches that you know. Okay, you're, you're okay. You're showing you can lay off this stuff, but that doesn't really tell us that much about you. Yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, other positives for Harrison: he hit 21 home runs on the season, but he also hit 28 doubles. So, you know, it was more than just he was popping a few over the fence, like dude was driving yeah. the ball around the field. Um, also, he stole 27 bases and was only caught stealing four times. So he has an idea what he's doing on the base paths. Yeah. So far, we're hoping that he has an idea what he's doing. So it, it's good to see he's yeah. got both the running game. And then, like I said, it looks like he's also he's hitting more hard power to gaps as opposed to just, you know, getting the ball over the fence. And his yeah. jump is coming next year. Like, let's not he now the, the jump to double A is serious business. 
and this will be a, a true test for you know how much he's really developed and well how much let's he's... let's be honest every jump at this point is a true test because you're getting that much closer to being legit they say so. the, they say the high a to double a is maybe the toughest it you condense down the number sure. of players and it's yeah. really yeah sure but i will say one of the things that i like about seeing monty harrison play baseball is the fact that he is built like an absolute mac truck and he's you know like some and i understand that you know, maybe a lot of people don't necessarily appreciate that, but when you go to a minor league game and you just see somebody who's built, you're just like that. That's a dude who I hope has some baseball skills. Well, I saw he doesn't have to go play in the NFL and get his brains beaten in. Yeah. Well, like I saw, I saw uh, Jorge Soler play up in Appleton when he was in a ball. They were visiting Tim Rattlers and yeah, he looked like a man amongst boys you know, up yeah. there. So yeah, you, you can see it. You can see it at that level when, when guys are just physically different. When a guy looks like a man and the rest of the guys kind of look like, well, it's crazy. Cause you, you don't think it's going to be that way when you're seeing a lot of these minor leaguers, they're professional. They are professional athletes. This is what they do. So you kind of have that expectation, but it, there is growth and there is a difference between guys who are coming up through the minors and what you expect major league ball players to be. Yeah. And, you know, like a lot of the time you see those guys and then you see them take batting practice or you see them get onto the mound or whatever. And you go, okay, you're an athlete. You don't necessarily have baseball skills yet. (laughs) You know, you're learning, you're trying to be able to put it together. Your swing is choppy, whatever it could be. Um, But Monty Harrison, you know, he's the kind of guy that you're just like, you see him go chase him down in center field and you're like, God, I hope you can swing, swing the bat. (laughs) and so it's nice to be able to see him actually put in his physical raw tools and be able to actually have baseball skills now. Especially, it's um, nice to pluck away guys from the other sports. <laughs> like he oh, was, especially a, because he, he was, was a top uh, notch in Nebraska. Yeah, to play wide receiver, he was a top notch yeah. recruit. Well, and, I mean, if you've seen Nebraska play, I mean, obviously he made the right choice. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, he did. So, um, okay, we're gonna move on. I finally finished Ryan's onion beer, so I figure we're gonna like change topics. If Dan Walsh is li- if Dan Walsh is listening. Hello, we don't <laughs> like Nebraska. Yeah, exactly. Sorry. I don't think he likes Nebraska that much at the moment <laughs> yeah, either. He's been watching the team and he's not a fan. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, at this point, yeah, let's so, be honest. Um, the Brett Phillips thing? Yeah. I was everybody measure, saw Brett Phillips. Everybody saw Brett I mean, Phillips. we've talked about Brett Phillips. I'm not worried. It's and, not like we really yes. need an introduction okay. to if, the guy. If I am going to get upset about something, I would say if you were going to choose somebody who had MLB time as your second best player of the year, you should have chosen Lewis Brinson and not Brett Phillips. Yeah. Mm. Well, Brinson was more impressive. Brinson played the majority of the season. It's not like he, it was just right at the end of the year that he was basically out for a bit of time. So he missed, but he also missed uh, some time earlier in the year. But he he was more impressive when he was playing. He was, yeah, his numbers were, were somewhat more impressive. He didn't put up the bulk numbers that Phillips did. And Phillips actually showed it at the big league level. What did Phillips hit hit that you're saying a 962 on, on, OPS is like I, I'm just talking about eh. like reps, basically, like f- taking into account like. So you're saying how because Phillips was Phillips was there, therefore you liked him better. Phillips, Phillips went this year. Phillips was uh, where's my numbers? He had he, 383 uh, at bats in in AAA and 87 in the big leagues. And Brinson so is significantly you're giving less. It, you're giving it to him because he had 84 more plate appearances. Was that it? Was it 84 more? Hmm. Yep. Hmm. Hmm. 
Yeah, but I Phillips, knew we, that. I knew that yeah, I could. Find okay, a yeah, but we saw it. Out. But we saw it in the big leagues. Phillips showed it in the big leagues, well, and I know Brinson no, no, didn't no, have a no, chance. No, 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 no. That's Brinson not any justification whatsoever. That's just like your justification of saying that <laughs> that Josh Hader was the rookie of the year because of what you thought he could be going forward. That made me upset too. And I knew that I could find a reason to get upset about it, but now I feel justified. <laughs> We've go. reached the embrace debate portion of the show. I shouldn't have mentioned Brett Phillips. I should have just let it die. You could have. You, 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 you walked I should have. You walked into that you one on your own. Like, but he, I thought but you he, were gonna pick like okay. Lewis like Lucas Ursic and I was gonna get mad. So last year both Breen and I were and you were you were definitely in the lead on this. You were the one saying I remember having a discussion with you walking around discussing this um that people were really underrating Brett Phillips. That it was oh, yeah. that totally. people had knocked him down way too far. Well, Phillips had a poor season last year. People stat scouted him. But yeah, they but yes, exactly. They stat scouted him and lost track of the fact that yeah, he had a poor season, but he was also still, you know, a twenty one year old who was playing in, you know, double AA, A, triple A and was not or it was all double A last year, but it it, it really didn't it, he was he was a better player than what you know all those and people were just looking at strikeout 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 he has too many strikeouts and like weren't recognizing that you know things had changed a little bit in that okay right. and and the biggest thing with somebody like Brett Phillips last is, point last point that's fine it's a great point okay um <laughs> is if you need to look at like the underlying skills of what it could look like at the MLB level and Brett Phillips is a guy who plays plus defensive center field hits for power can walk a little bit and and has can a walk a arm. lot can walk a well, lot well we haven't necessarily seen that at the the big league level i don't think i could he be was, wrong well he, was, he has not he has nine walks i suppose it's too small of a sample size to see anything but yeah yeah point taken um but like that colby rasmus made a living for like seven to ten years in the big leagues being able to play center field uh, very well, being able to hit for power, being able to take a walk. I mean, like those are guys that have long-term careers and occasionally get starting gigs, depending on where where you're playing and and the kind of guys that you're competing with. Well, and, I, uh, and he also feuded with Tony Larusso, which automatically pulled people to his side. <laughs> his dad, same was Colby though. Feuded with Tony Larusso. <laughs> That's true. Well, yeah, when your dad's the uh, hitting coach, your hitting coach, your personal, your hitting personal coach. hitting yeah. coach, yeah. So, um, anyways, okay, I want to move on because we do have some questions I want to get to. So, uh, Jay Google asks, uh, which minor leaguer uh, that was hampered by injuries this year makes the biggest jump or is most effective when fully healthy? Ryan, do you want to take that one first? Corey Ray. Okay, I'm going with Corey Ray. Was he hampered by injuries? I was going to say, what yeah, injuries? Yeah, he, he, okay, so this is important to remember. I know you're big on this, and you brought it up he before. He missed an entire offseason of training and developing and doing baseball activities because he was recovering from reconstructive knee surgery. And so he started the season late even. I mean, he was, he was in there fairly early, but he basically missed an entire offseason due to that. And... I think there is a, a decent argument to be made that he's a guy that, you know, got set back by that and is still trying to catch up and get back to where he wanted to be, you know, preparation-wise and all of those things. So I almost give him just a pass on this season and say, okay, we saw we saw some bad. There's definitely some things that... A pass? A pass Like on, it didn't happen? 
like we need to look at the numbers that he produced and go, okay, yeah, but he didn't have he didn't have anything like you know the kind of off season preparation that he is he is an incredibly well, hard hold worker on. according to all hold that, on hold on that on. would suggest that his numbers improved as the season goes along. Did you see? Uh, uh, did he trend upward as the season went along? He, he was all over the place. Also, prior to the year in terms of spring training and being down in Maryville, you know, before he actually made it to, to Carolina, because there was a little bit of a break that he was in extended spring training that people with the team were saying that Corey Ray looked awesome. Not that he would look awesome, that he was really, really good in spring. And, and, and it's not anyway, been translating to production. No, it, it hasn't yet. And, and there were question marks uh, in his game. I'm not by any means counting him out as a prospect. He's still top, probably top five prospect for me. I don't remember where I put him on the list. I think he was um, your fourth or fifth. Yeah. And so I, there are a lot of things to like here, but I think we would be trying to look through very, very heavily rose tinted glasses, trying to suggest that the stats this year don't give us some pause in terms of confirming some question marks we had about very specific pieces of his game. Right. And there it's the, the picture has definitely dimmed somewhat because you were the hope was he was going to you know take take control and really become that top flight prospect and it definitely didn't happen it went the other direction and that's right i think we have the to big wait thing right see. now i think the big thing now is that the question that people uh like myself like Corey ray was one of the people in the 2000 was a 2016 draft yes um that everybody was saying could potentially be a superstar and mm-hmm. right Keith now, Law had him as his number one talent. We're looking right now at Corey Ray and and suggesting that he could be a very good player, but I don't think that there are a lot of people that are going to go out on a limb and say that he could be a superstar anymore. Yeah, it's it seems somewhat unlikely. Um, but there were questions in terms of you know his ability to make consistent contact, his ability to handle lefties, and the numbers this year I think show that both of those concerns were warranted. And unless something changes dramatically in that. You're looking at somebody who is still a, a good a good prospect. Don't get me wrong; is still a top five prospect in the system, but somebody that you're not looking at as being able to anchor a lineup or be, you know, a perennial all star like people were hoping he could be. But would it shock you if he came out next year and put up, you know, a 900 OPS in Biloxi and in Biloxi? Yes. In Biloxi, you don't. Yeah. Well, do you not think he's going to go to Biloxi? I I don't. No, I mean, I guess I haven't thought about it that much, um, but they're in some ways, right? They've been trying to take the score of players and move them along together. So in some ways, yeah, I could see him go to Biloxi and he has been in high A for basically two seasons now. Uh, but I don't think that it's a fair bet to say that we could easily see him moving up a level, taking that biggest jump that you were just talking about being the biggest jump in the minors and suddenly putting up a 900 plus OPS. I think that would, that would surprise me. Okay. Okay. So we do have another question. I'm going to kind of piggyback off of, um, from our Croatian. Well, he never gave his answer. Our Croatian listener, Ulspurge. I'm going to move on. We were <laughs> talking about Corey Ray for so long. Uh, who is more likely to rebound next year, Trent Clark or Corey Ray? Uh, and have I guess he's heard a lot of second guessing on both picks, which I'm kind of surprised at because Corey Ray was n- nobody really second guessed that pick. Well, some people did. Some people really wanted a pitcher. Hi, know, Steve. Those, people are, those people are stupid. 
But I mean, for the most, not you, Steve, other Steve. I was going to say that can't be me. So, um, (laughs) I I say stupid. I say I say stupid lovingly to whoever is listening that wanted a uh, (laughs) a picture for that. Yeah. So, uh, anyways, uh, between Trent Clark and and Corey Ray, JP, who do you think has a better chance of rebounding next season? Uh, Corey Ray pretty handily just because Trent Clark hasn't been able to show anything with the bat to show that it's special. Um, I think that he still has defensive question marks, still looks like he could potentially hit for some average, still has an idea of what he's doing at the plate, but I haven't talked to anybody who says that his bat, his bat even flashes like it's special anymore. Oh, Ryan, Ryan is grabbing another beer, I think, to uh, wash out the onion beer flavor. The onion beer is delicious, and it's not onion. Vidalia onions. You can't. Onion. You can't have it both ways. It's a sweet onion teriyaki. He's calling beer. it onion beer. I'm not sweet onion teriyaki. And stop calling it onion beer and defending it. Yeah. So, anyways, Ryan, I know you like Trent Clark. So, uh, you do like Trent Clark. I mean, yeah. There, there's some interesting things. Now, when you're talking about like uh, JP mentioned earlier, where he's talking about maybe fake play discipline, I do have concerns with Clark that. He is a guy that is not attacking enough early. He has a tremendous walk rate, and it's really propping him up, and it does give him something really to build around. And he, he seems to hit for enough power that that allows for you know projection down the line. And he's not old by any stretch of the imagination. He's not like he's old for his level. But at the same time, you're talking about a guy who just has not progressed he's just sort of stayed in stasis and so you're sort of getting to the point of with him that you're wondering if what is the what is the fix that's coming along to get him to go because he clearly needs to do something different there needs to be a a change to his underlying game like stop gripping the bat like it's a golf club well he has he has actually changed away from that oh he has okay yeah because that was the big thing when he was was drafted was the weird kind of Locked, yeah, he did that all pretty much last grip. year, but I don't remember if it was before this year or in the middle of this year he actually switched out of it. Okay. Um, but I think the biggest thing with Trent Clark is that you don't he can't play center. And did I say something incorrect? No, Ryan here is like slobbering his beards overflowing because apparently he's never <laughs> poured, he's never poured into a glass before. Sorry, I thought I said like Chris he was, Arietta or something no. stupid again that I needed to be. <laughs> no, no more, no more, needed, no more Chris Arietta's. No, Steve definitely uh-huh. did the the uh, face in hand at that, and that was because I did pour beer in a remarkably amateurish way. <laughs> you poured it remarkably into your, amateurish. <laughs> that went right into your lap. Yeah, oh, it's not. Oh, yeah. But I think with did a little bit. But I think with uh, getting back on 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 to my point, I suppose Trent Clark, like if he can't play center field and he's not going to hit for power what is he and he's got to be somebody who can hit for average and hit for or and walk just an absolute crap ton he's got to be you know jesse winker and jesse winker in cincinnati has a lot of question marks about his underlying game as well and at least at least clark did do that he is walking a crap ton and that's at least gives you hope right if if he's going to play left field Oh God! I mean, yeah. he can play right field, but his his arm is is better in left. If he's going to play left field, he's got to be able to do something if he's not going to hit for power. Yeah, and I mean, we thought he was going to be a legitimate hitter who could hit to all fields with Absolutely. not necessarily like 
you know, big home run power, but a guy who could drive the ball to all fields. That's what we thought we were getting in the draft at the time. And it just has not yeah. turned out that way. He does not do that. Okay, so I'm going to well, do... Or it just least hasn't thus far, right? Hasn't yeah. thus far, yes. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to do one more question. Uh, it is another question that involves Corey Ray since he ended up... Nah, you... skip it. Let's do a different one. No, no, no. We're doing this because it kind of right. involves some major league stuff as well. Like I said, last All question. Right, fine. Okay, so uh, Joe Norton asks, uh, far-fetched, but if a team would go for it, would you package Ryan Braun plus Corey Ray for a proven number two starter? Like, is that no. even legitimate? No. I mean, I would I would drive them all to the airport, but that's not happening. So, like that, like who's trading a number two? Who's that's trading the point. a number yeah. two starter that would want to take Ryan Braun's contract? I was going like, to say, what's what's I don't understand like what would be going on with that? What's more problematic with that? Is it thinking that Corey Ray would be a big enough prospect to do it, or Ryan Braun's well, contract? Yes. I mean, both, it's not yes. really Ryan Braun's contract. It's it's the profile of team that wants to take Ryan Braun as a primary piece because Corey Ray is not good enough to headline, right? So for a number two starter, you've got to have a top of the rotation starter that you don't need this year. <laughs> Which nobody you, has that. No, Literally no need, one. You still need a top flight hitter like Ryan Braun to come in for the next few years and to justify paying that contract to be the headline of that deal because it's not going to be Corey Ray. Like, so I that'd be like the Mets wanting to trade Jacob DeGrom, but like saying in order to do that, we need a legit hitter because for some reason they need Ryan Braun. Which, you know, it is the Mets. Which means so the Mets aren't trading anybody because the Mets are scared that people are going to get mad at them. Which, but the Mets. It's, they, it's they'd the rather Mets. keep all their broken pitchers. The Mets aren't going to aren't going to take Ryan Braun because they're scared of it anybody who's paid more than $4 million and then they don't right. want to, I they don't want say- to signal to anyone that they're potentially not going in. And if they trade anybody, they're going to trade, they're going to try to trade Matt Harvey because they're, they're going to be like, well, we've given up and then they're going to expect something good coming back. Well, okay. So that's a good question. What would you Matt give Harvey's up to get Matt Harvey? Nothing. Oh, you think he's done. He toast physically a rack done i i would not trade for him what it would take to give up for him no i would not trade for i would not put him on my roster medically he scares you or you just think his stuff isn't there anymore uh i am going to stick with saying that i would not want him on my roster so there's just absolutely no redeeming value i can talk to you later about it (laughs) i don't want him on my roster (laughs) oh so like literally if the mets would accept um you know, Freddie Peralta for him, you would say, I don't want him on my roster. That's okay. You're being very clear about this. And now I'm desperate to hear what is it like the podcast. Is it the kind of stuff he has in his locker and the, uh, the look on his face right now. I don't know. what We need a video feed of this podcast. Apparently I was going to say, you got to go back and search a dead spin mid season to find out, uh, what he had. Yeah. If you don't know what Matt Harvey had in his locker, uh, go search it. And yeah. it's, it's funny. Yeah. It's pretty good. So, well, we're going to call it a day then. So, uh, that's going to do it for the show this week. As always, follow us on Twitter at MKE tailgate. You can also submit questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or follow our Facebook page for Milwaukee's tailgate baseball podcast. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher and leave reviews and help people find the podcast because that's awesome. So thanks for listening and look for us again next week on Milwaukee's tailgate.
God, I thought I was drinking a Marzen. What did you? Where did you store this? I literally we I got it yesterday. <laughs> well, somebody had it in like a <laughs> under a heat lamp or oh, something. Jesus, it, it tastes like I'm drinking a Marzen. It's, it's Jim. Like you need to start fast. drinking so you can understand what we're discussing. I, do, I don't want to. <laughs> you know, you could have a spit bucket next to you, and then that would <laughs> like, like swish yeah, just, your mouth. Just swish it a little bit. You get the onion flavor, and then you can. <laughs> Well, we were discussing, should we... That do- all sounds great. <laughs> <laughs>